1: Hey, folks, before we start, really exciting news. We now have CME available from ACRAC. That's right. You can get AMA PRA Category 1 credit for listening to ACRAC and then filling out just a quick survey question that will take you not more than about 30 seconds to a minute. Those links are at the website, ACRAC.com. In each uh, show notes, you can see right under the description there will be a bold CME with a link. You click on that link. It's a small cost for each credit, much less than you would pay to go to a conference or get the 20 or 30 or 40 credits that you need for the year. You can do them one at a time for each episode that you listen to and get a full credit for just listening to an ACRAC episode and then filling out this quick question. This is... Powered by CMEFI. It's using AI technology to bring the right education to the right place at the right time. And it really is great. You can do this in a m- just a minute or less and get credit. So if you are out there looking for a way to get PRA category one credit, for your CME requirements, or if you're already getting it somewhere, but you're already listening to ACRAC anyway, and you'd like to get it from this, now you can. Every episode can get you a credit, so you can get more than 200 credits from ACRAC episodes by listening, and then clicking on that link on the website at ACRAC.com. All right, now on with the show. Hello, and welcome back to ACRAC. I'm Jed Wolpaw, and we've got a fantastic show for you today. I'm really thrilled that I've got with me a, someone who's really involved in social media education and anesthesia and thinking about alternative asynchronous ways to teach. This is a little bit of a meta podcast since we're on a podcast talking about different forms of asynchronous education, but I think it's going to be really interesting. And I'm thrilled uh, to have with me Dr. David Combesar. David is currently doing a combined critical care and cardiac fellowship at Mass General Hospital and has has just really kind of gotten involved in a lot of interesting educational stuff along the way, in addition to, of course, working very hard clinically. So I'm going to let David explain that a little more. But David, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Walpoth. Jed, um, I'm super excited to be here. And, uh, you know, I'm super excited to talk about social media in in anesthesia education and, and, uh, you know, general medical education. Uh, nowadays um so i guess a little bit about myself
1: um, yes and hold on one second because i do want you to do that and i just want to make one shout out because i think this i've been trying to figure out where to plug this because it's great and i think this is the perfect podcast to do it on the perfect episode since we're talking about asynchronous web uh, resources so uh if people out there are interested in some really great free neuroanesthesia and critical care resources i just want to point folks to the society for neuroscience and anesthesiology and critical care that's snack s-n-a-c-c their website is snacksnacc.org. There's a lot of great stuff there. They've got, it's all free. They've got neuroanesthesia quizzes you can take and learn from. They've got this whole education corner. And then they have a new podcast. It's called the snack podcast, S-N-A-C-C. You can get it on Google, Spotify or Apple podcast. And again, free and a great resource if you're either on a neuroanesthesia rotation or and neuro ICU rotation, or you're thinking about doing a fellowship in those areas, really interesting stuff. So check it out. All right, let's get back to David. David, tell us about you and kind of what, you know, You, I, I told uh, folks what you're doing in terms of fellowship, but talk a little bit about how you got where you are and where you're going.
2: Yeah, um, so I'm actually from South Jersey and I, I uh, thought when I went to medical school, I was going to be a trauma surgeon and found out that most of medicine and trauma is, is people falling off of their toilets on Coumadin. And it's not as exciting as uh, I thought it was going to be and and found anesthesia and found that the kind of 10, 15-minute procedures that I didn't know they actually did, uh, you know, were really appealing. And this this very intimate relationship between a patient and anesthesiologist because there's no one between you and the patient, right? It's you are the physician making the decision. You're the nurse pushing the med. You're the pharmacist who's deciding, you know, there's no epic pop-up for you didn't dilute this insulin right. And so it, it makes this very interesting relationship between the patient where you are all aspects of their of their medical care. So I found the anesthesia. I went through. I said, there's no way I'm ever doing cardiac and critical care because I don't like rounding and I, I don't like long cases. And lo and behold, I enjoyed rounding in a surgical ICU. And cardiac and echo is amazing. Um, so I did my, my residency at Rutgers at New Jersey Medical School in North Jersey uh, where I did medical school. Um, did my applications, wound up um, coming up to the Massachusetts General Hospital for a uh, two-year fellowship in critical care and cardiothoracic anesthesia. Just took my ICU boards and hoping uh, that I don't have to retake them. And in the meantime, am trying to learn echo from some of the, the best people I've really uh, you know ever, ever been honored to work with.
1: Yeah, that's great. And we were just talking about uh, Dr. Jay Crowley, who's one of your attendings and was a year behind me in residency. And and I just have very fond memories of Jay. And if he's ever going to listen to this, uh, I'll give him a little shout out. Uh, he's, <laughs> a, he's a great guy. One of the funniest people I've ever known. And and I'm, I'm sure a fan. he was a fantastic resident. I'm sure he's a fantastic attending. Um, yeah, absolutely. So uh, tell me, uh, that's great. And tell me a little bit about um, you've done in addition to obviously a lot of really hard, intense clinical work. You've created um, some YouTube content and an Instagram account. Tell us a little bit about what that is and, and how you decided to do that.
2: Yeah, so um, I found that there were topics in anesthesia that were, they eluded me as a, like I never understood why we heated and, and, uh, you know, pressurized DES Sitting and reading a textbook felt really dense and I couldn't get really solid explanations that explain the basic physics, even with mechanisms of breathing, how the plural spaces pull away from one another and you increase your area and so pressure is forced over area. Things that I felt like I should know. I couldn't pull up a YouTube video to just have somebody explain that to me. And I've also found over the years that we, we use a very antiquated model of medical education in med school. And even now where I sit in a room and somebody talks off of a, uh, a PowerPoint slide to me for one to many hours. And that's not what I need. And it's not what I want. And, and we're kind of conditioned, I think at this stage in, in, you know, time where, you know, I grew up playing video games. I grew up with television. I grew up with, you know, multiple stimuli and, and I want to listen to something for five or 10 minutes, get the you know the points that I need to know and understand it and kind of move on. And so I wanted to try and create a resource. And to anyone who's listening, it's called Count Backwards from 10. The shtick was, that's what we tell patients before they go to sleep. And all the, the video content was supposed to be 10 minutes or less, was I was looking to make a resource to answer questions in a way that I had that I wish somebody explained to me when I was a CA1 or a CA2 or doing things like that. And so I, I kind of, emulated the people like Dr. Hussein Sattar, who does Pathoma for medical school and people from Khan Academy and, and uh, other, other kind of educators that we find that are not necessarily parts of medical schools that they are, but they, they don't just exist. They do very well because people want to go watch them. And I found that anesthesia was something that, in my, at least in my opinion at the time, was lacking in explanations for these things. And, you know, the second gas effect, Super confusing when you read it in a textbook. But if you can get a solid explanation, it doesn't take more than five minutes. And so that was kind of my goal. And now it's been more tailored towards critical care and cardiac content um, and hoping to expand on it You know, once I'm, once I'm done. Well,
1: that's great. You know, I, I think you're exactly right. We still are teaching in the way we've always been taught. I mean, we're starting to break away. But, uh, you know, in many ways, the, the model of education is still the one that's been around forever. And yet... Students are, are growing up in a very different world with a very different set of tools at their disposal and, you know, possibly a very different attention span, you know? Um, and so I think, uh, the idea that we should not think about different tools to use for education, uh, doesn't really make a lot of sense. So I love that you're thinking about this, that, you know, count backwards from 10. This is, I love the title and it's a great idea. I've seen some of the content that looks great. Um, and I would encourage people to check that out as well as many other models out there. I, I'd, can't imagine. I mean, when I was going through med school, everyone listened to the Gouillon lectures. And, you know, my understanding is that now that's kind of been supplanted a little bit by Pathoma maybe, but I I bet you can't find a medical student who doesn't know what Pathoma is, right? So there's, yeah, just ubiquitous resources. Um, All right. So let's talk about how the fact that this is out there, you and many others are doing this kind of work and and there 's a ton of good content. How does that translate to folks who are in residency looking for you know a way amidst their hard clinical work to try to learn all the stuff they have to learn
2: yeah, I think it's an interesting idea because you know the the old model of medicine, not that it 's old because we still do it, but you know there 's this expectation in medicine and especially in residency that you go, you work for. 8, 10, 12, 14 hours a day, you're on a 24-hour call, and that you're then supposed to go home, you're supposed to have a normal social life, have a family, you're supposed to exercise, eat right, get eight hours of sleep a night, you're supposed to read up on your cases tomorrow and talk to your attending, Then you're supposed to read about all the content for those things. And it's like something's got to give. There's not enough hours in the day to be able to successfully do that. And Miller is an obviously an incredible book. I tend to use it as a reference at this point. But even now, like you mentioned, being supplanted by things that you know, up to date is literally constantly being updated. You're not going to find a republished version of Miller every couple of months. And so with all those things, people are looking, at least anecdotally and in my opinion, for ways to shrink that time so that they can go ahead and do that. And as we understand more about medicine, we don't It's not that we don't need to understand the basics and and kind of the underlying tone of what's going on. You should understand pressures and and how it affects, say, putting BiPAP on somebody with CHF exacerbation. But when somebody's learning it either for an exam or you you need to know the the steps for an intra-op emergency, they're looking for ways that they can listen while they're doing other things and say, okay, this is what what a pneumothorax in the operating room looks like. These are the signs you need to look for and why. Without having to sit down and read a textbook that's going to derive equations about how uh, you know, the law of Laplace works with, uh, you know, LV filling. And that might be something that you get to, but in my mind, there is some amount of layering. Um, like from my my standpoint, my my knowledge, honestly, in, in regional, for example, is very limited. Uh, I'm not particularly talented at it, and it doesn't interest me as much, but I needed to know certain things to be a competent anesthesiologist, just like I learned basics for critical care, and then Worked more into it as as I kind of went along. And so, what social media I think allows people to do is you get educators from kind of all over the world. You get people, uh, you know, like yourself who can be on a podcast and somebody in Asia or somebody in Australia or or a new resident can sit and listen and be like, what's this person talking about that's cutting edge? You know, I listened to uh, Lorenzo Berry, you had him on uh, one or two weeks ago, who's one of my attendings here. And I get to work with him every day or constantly, but he's a world expert in nitric oxide. And yes, to have somebody else thousands of miles away, be able to learn from the same kinds of people and have that all over the place and and have it in almost real time is super important. And we we saw it, especially when COVID happened um, was people being able to share content and share findings and share uh, studies instantaneously. Um, And so not only from an education standpoint of being able to publish uh, resources, explanations in ways that, uh, again, I wish that people had explained certain things to me a certain way. And if I'm limited to the attendings that I work with or these senior residents, that's it. But now I can hop on Instagram and find a a video from somebody that I've watched a couple of times. And it's like, they, they nailed it. And so from an education standpoint, it offers this, this massive kind of, open resource foam med type situation that, that really um, I think with so many different, I'm sorry, I'm rambling um, styles of learning, you're going to find the way that works for you and, and be able to kind of follow along with that pair of those people.
1: I love that. I, I love the idea that people can kind of, and this is really thinking about adult learners who need to have some control over their own learning, as opposed to, you know, you can, probably do what you want with a classroom of kindergartners and they're they're going to be like sponges but adults you know and so i love that for for adult learners the idea that you're laying out and you mentioned foam med free open access medical education right is that there is there uh, hopefully we are continuing to develop this just huge plethora of options and people can find what works for them and and you alluded to this idea that you know you could read so you, you brought up blocks you let's say you have to do a block one day right you could read the 50 page chapter uh, in, in big Miller about it, or you could go online and five, find a five minute video. That'll show you exactly, you know, of the block being done and things to think about New England journal, for example, has great videos and a lot of different um, procedures and there's many more. So let me ask you this. I mean, that sounds so appealing. and, And a lot of people do that. Right. And, and is there anything lost? I mean, if, for, for, if you compare reading that 50 page chapter to watching that five minute video, is there anything lost when it comes to either your ability to perform that block or or maybe your overall development? And I'm not asking this because I think there is. I, I don't know the answer. I'm interested to hear your thoughts.
2: So I, I think there's, with everything, no matter what, there's always going to be a good and a bad side to it. You know, you drink too much water because you got to stay hydrated and your sodium gets low. You need to take, There's always going to be a, a give and take and a downside to everything. And I think there's a couple of them, especially with social media and things like that. The, the big plus is, like you said, you want to see a block, you don't have to look at static images. You can watch somebody physically do it on the NYSORA website uh, or on their app and, and look up a video exactly how to do it and what routes they're blocking and what will happen as a result. And it's really fantastic. But there's a reason that those chapters exist. There's a reason that that 50-page chapter on the, you know, supraclavicular block exists because there's a lot more to it than just giving some numbing medication, putting your needle in and injecting. It, it's its kind of like the old adage of, you know, the guy who gets paid, they pay him $10,000 to fix a boat and he goes and he looks at the boat and he looks around and, and then he bangs on it in one place and the boat works again. And like, I paid you all this money to to uh, fix my boat and it took you 30 seconds. Like, you're not paying me for the 10 seconds it took me, you're paying me for everything that I understood behind it. And so it's very, it's super nice to, you know maybe that touches me more is doing central lines uh, for cardiac getting to watch a video on somebody doing a central line is phenomenal cuz i can emulate that i can see exactly how it is but at the same time when you go and look at a icu textbook chapter on doing central lines the subtleties a- uh, angle of access not over rotating problems and problem solving different ways to to check that you're in line the things what could accidentally happen? You might not be able to follow your needle when you're in the carotid. The things that you're not going to see necessarily in that five-minute, eight-minute video are what exists in these textbooks. And it's kind of all that stuff that, well, I don't, and it's kind of why I don't think people necessarily need to read all of Miller. I certainly didn't. But when there were topics that I was interested in and wanted to come, become more adept in, I would start and say, okay, how do you do a central line? All right, let's go look at a, an ICU textbook and see what they have to say about it. And then kind of, build on top of that. And so one, uh, the big thing I think is lost is you lose that depth because, you know, we're looking for the fastest and easiest way to kind of keep our lives moving. And when we're so focused, especially nowadays on tests and examinations, we just care about, you know, what, what are the highlights? What am I going to, you know, how many reviews are like, these are the buzzwords you're going to hear. This is what you need to be aware of. And it's not like, understanding the pH chemical reaction of putting, uh, you know, bicarb into lidocaine and what happens with the protons. Cause clinically that doesn't matter as much, but it's, it's what differentiates like getting you to that next level. And I think that's a big thing that's lost.
1: Yeah. I think you, you put it really well. Thank you. So let me now ask you to move to talking about social media, specifically in anesthesiology education, right? You kind of talked about a lot of the advantages and, and ways that are are worthwhile thinking about what's out there in the broad sense of medical education. How does this apply if we drill down to our specialty?
2: Yeah. So I think there's a couple of things. Believe it or not, there's a lot of uh, papers out there on medical education, anesthesia, and the use of social media. And I've been trying to figure out how to study. It turns out it's a lot more complicated to study education because you know, you can't double blind people to watching a video or not. And a lot of it is surveys. How did you feel you retained this? Or in your sample size, if you're trying to test a residency, of 30 residents that are going to do things one way or the other. So it's very interesting to read about how the studies are done. But they look at things like um, there was a paper uh, that I have you know pulled up from the uh, British Medical Journal um, from 2019 that kind of looked at um, how uh, using social media for education, um, sharing information ends up, uh, getting beyond the kind of academic journals that we use, you know, and, and how it gets more information to people, uh, in a shorter amount of time than it did before, which is great because I certainly don't want to sit and read anesthesia and energies cover to cover along with the Lancet and X amount of other things. And, um, there was another one in the British Journal uh, from 2015 that I think actually looked at uh, Twitter as a platform for, like I had mentioned before, fast dissemination and and public forum discussion from everybody to be able to talk about um, things like that. And so within the field of anesthesia, not to say that it's changing rapidly, you know, I'm sure we uh, many of us use and rock and go to sleep, and but things like Neuroprotection, things like using bis monitors and new technologies out there, all everything that comes out with um, teratogens, new drugs that are, are started. You know, it, it's a great way to be able to learn about that new kind of pharmacology, the new kind of studies that are coming out. But it's a great way for somebody somewhere, like I mentioned in anesthesia, to somebody for to sit and listen to your podcast here in Europe and listen to you talk to a world leader or a world expert or somebody in a field and get a different perspective, get, get those kinds of things. The other side of it though, I think the more sinister side to social media and education in anesthesia is, and this was a big problem that you had kind of brought up to me when I first started was how do you know who is telling you anything that's correct? Who is this random person? Who's this David? Who's a fellow talking to me about this thing. And you find a distinct lack of sources on the internet and it's very difficult to kind of muddle through Um, what's this person telling me? How do I know that this is right? I'm going to go and talk to my attending. Like, well, I read on Instagram last night that, uh, you know, deep hypothermia causes this thing. And it's like, they're going to look at you with two eyes, but did you read a paper on this? Did you read a textbook? You know, no, I just saw it on, on, on Twitter. Like who is this person? Um, And it becomes a big problem because uh, we almost look at it through this lens of, uh, you know, headings, like how many people these days actually read through journals? They, they look at the, the, um, uh, the, the abstract and they say, oh, great, the new targeted temperature stuff is just leave the normothermic and don't let them get um, uh, fevers. Didn't bother to read the population, don't know how the study was performed, don't know why that doesn't apply to your uh, patient And so on one hand, it's really impressive to understand complex physiologic topics and and make them simple. Even with TikTok, that are like a minute long or here's a clever way to remember something. But the other side is you have no clue a lot of times the authority or or what anybody's saying is actually a thing or or, or is right.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think that... um that you've hit right on on the head what the challenges are and and there was an interesting paper i want to say maybe it was in academic medicine um but it was a few years ago but they looked at podcast listening and they found that one of the drawbacks uh, there were a lot of positives but one of the drawbacks they identified was this idea that some residents reported they would kind of say to somebody whether it's intending or resident oh you know uh yeah we should do this and they'd say oh yeah i agree that's definitely the right way to do it and they'd say oh yeah you know what what is your where'd you read about that they say oh i didn't read about it. i heard it on a podcast and they say how about you they say yeah i heard it on the podcast. so everyone kind <laughs> of you know everyone is saying they should do a certain thing but oh, everyone is just listening to the same podcast right and i think in emergency medicine em rap is Uh, It certainly has been for a long time and I think still is really just this incredibly dominant podcast. It's great. I remember listening to it when I was in in emergency medicine as an intern and it you know, it's so ubiquitous in that field that people take it as almost like the New England Journal. You see something in it, you you hear something in it, and you assume it's right. Now, those guys do a great job, and I'm sure what, they are say, what they're saying is evidence-based, or they probably are saying, if it's just opinion, they're identifying that. But, you know, that is a potential drawback, is that it's easy just to say, oh, I heard this, it must be right. But, of course, there's no guarantee that it is.
2: Uh, of course, and, 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 you know, people try to find... And the other thing is, the audience that you get, it's really easy for somebody with thousands of followers, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of followers to put something out there and it just be grossly incorrect. And you're like, now you have thousands of eyes on this thing that they didn't, you know, read or they didn't look back on. I'm um, not to say everyone does it. You know, I've certainly made mistakes in my drawings or writing. You know, I remember when I first uh, spoke to you when I was first starting out and you're like, yeah, you know, this was right, you know, 10 years ago, but the newest uh, stuff. And you're like, I was like, oh, I really have to go back and read this before I kind of get it out there. Um, And so you kind of get this, this headline learning, um, which, like I said, can be really great when you're looking for what the, the uh, quick and dirty for something is, but is can be almost dangerous to some degree when you're trying to apply that without goes back to the same idea of getting to that next level, that reading that textbook or reading that journal article and, and knowing why uh, they're doing it.
1: Yeah. So let's go through some of the real kind of highlight advantages and disadvantages, which we've kind of been talking about. But when you think about the real pros of this ubiquitous set of resources that are out there, what that we haven't touched on would you would you really highlight as yeah these are these are things that are just good and that people should consider when they're thinking about their own education
2: yeah, I think one is you have it instantaneously in your fingertips. I don't have Miller in the operating room, but I know that I have you know the the emergency medicine or the emergency you know things screenshotted or or flagged or whatever it is in my pocket in real time uh immediately and in a way that I understand in a picture format, in a drawing, in like uh, you know bullet points because I searched out you know the way to do this uh, and, and the way the person was going to teach it to me that I liked. So I think the easy availability in a field like anesthesia, where when things go wrong, they go wrong fast. You're not talking about giving vancomycin. They're like, oh, their creatine's getting worse. Let's follow it up tomorrow and hydrate them. It's patient is desaturating. Tube is in. And I don't know what's going on and you need to figure out your pathway or whatever it is you're going to do about it. And so having that accessibility and having them at your fingertips uh, in an instant and in a way that speaks to you, I think, is super, super important. Two, it also allows for almost real-time evaluation of things. Back during COVID, people would be rounding and someone would be like, listen, someone just came up on Twitter that they did this study out here and they were trying this. And it would change practice almost immediately. Um, and so having that ability, uh, not just from an education standpoint, but translating social media to its use in a clinical forum, um, you know, worldwide changes in, in clinical um, things happened right away. And that was important because it also made things that maybe weren't so great. You know, you had the ivermectin stuff that came out and people were like, okay, we're going to study this because everyone's talking about it. And then, you know, we can, we can be done with it. Um, so I think accessibility, I think, um, having, you know, kind of a worldwide forum and discussion with, with large enough eyes is super important. Um, and then, you know, like we have mentioned, finding that person that speaks to you and and teaches the way that, you know, is, is best, uh, for you to learn the cons again, as I mentioned is how do you distill? I think that's the biggest thing because there's, there's a infinitum of, of resources. How do you pick a reliable resource? How do you know that this person talking about balloon pumps? And a lot of times, at least, again, still my opinion, is there are resources on YouTube that have 500,000 views. And it's not because people, you know, maybe it's because they don't like the drawings, but a lot of times it's because they found that the way that something was explained was one, correct, and it could be corroborated in some way. But two, it was done in a way that, you know, was good for that med cram, for example, is like one of my favorites if I ever have to reference something. And it's it's almost um, uh, kind of like a masses type deal where it wouldn't have it wouldn't be the top of YouTube and it wouldn't have five hundred thousand views in the last year if what they were doing wasn't correct or wasn't good. And so it almost helps you know in social media distill that kind of idea of of almost capitalistic education where whatever the best thing is going to be is going to kind of, you know, pop up there. And so I think, uh, again, rambling and kind of going around it is finding, I think the biggest drawback is how do you know what you're getting is is, is good.
1: Hang in there. We'll be right back.
0: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly.
1: You know, I think that makes a lot of sense. I, you know, I, I guess the cautionary note would be, and this is probably not that common, but that you could, of course, have some blooper or something in a video that made it funny and therefore had five hundred thousand views, right? But that's m- probably much more common in in general media, not so much in in medical specific stuff. Um, but what advice? I mean, one thing is sure. I think it's worthwhile to look at you know how ubiquitously listened to or watched something is, and if that you know, is consistently getting 500,000 or millions of views, there's something to it, right? It may, it may be that it's, it's funny, or, you know, kind of, you know, um, entertaining, but it may well also be that it's been shown to be right. But what else would you recommend that people do to kind of try to verify that a resource they found online is actually worthwhile? I mean, one thing sure is to look at how many people have used it. What else?
2: I think vetting the resources is probably the hardest part of all of it. And it takes, it's the most time consuming. And honestly, it's, you know, I don't know how many people listening to this actually sit down and read journal articles anymore. It's really hard. I like to think I'm pretty good at it and I'm terrible. Like when you look at, you know, most people are doing these studies and, and really like, uh, you know, you, you, I'll, I'll read something in the New England journal. And then I'll, two weeks later I'll see the, the letter to the editor. I'm like, how did you even, I don't even know what you're saying because I didn't understand that from the paper through. Um, and so that might also not be a great way for a lot of people to verify and do that, but it's, it's good to at least reference. It's good to say, you know what, does this thing apply to my patients today? Or was that only studied in, you know, pregnant patients or patients who are Trendelenburg in the LR, insufflated? So I think one, just looking that uh, that, uh, something that you're watching or listening to has a source is the most important thing. Um, Even if you're not necessarily going to go to it, at least you can always look back and say, you know what? They said this. I can go back and verify. I can go back and look. But if something doesn't have a source, I think you get into some very murky waters of there's almost no way to know if what they're saying is correct. Um, And then beyond that, Again, there are some things you're going to take with a grain of salt and maybe something that you learned multiple times you saw in textbooks. If, if I watch a video about a superclav block and I, I hear something on a podcast or I watch a YouTube video, I'm like, yeah, I've, I've heard that before. This is something that c- tends to repeat itself. You can usually take that to the bank to some degree, but also recognizing that stuff like that changes. You know, the, the data maybe on post-operative nausea and vomiting with nitrous isn't what it was 10 years ago. The use of swans in in um, heart failure now you know I had a new paper last year that said it might actually help um, as opposed to all of it. So uh, I think the next step is to boil down what is and is not important to you and that you're willing to take the time in a very hustling, bustling medical world right now, what you're willing to sit down for for 30, 40 minutes and say, you know what this article came out or I, I watched this video and this article was referenced. I want to sit down and read about this most recent, you know, targeted temperature management trial. Um, Yeah.
1: No, I, so I think that that makes a lot of sense. You know, I think um, part of it also probably depends on what you're using it for. So if you read a resource online or listen to a podcast and you decide tomorrow I'm doing this with my patient in the OR, you know, you really should be verifying that. You should be looking at the sources. You should be looking up independent sources to verify. See, is this just someone's idea? Is it something that was, you know, listed in just a case report that somebody did one time? But if all you're saying is, you know, gee, that sounded interesting. I think tomorrow I'll bring it up with my attending when we're chatting. If you're a trainee listening and you, you know, that I think is fine, right? If your attending says, I've never heard of that. Then that might ring a little bell. Maybe this isn't so well yeah. regarded, although it could be, and they just don't know about it. But you know, so it's it's one you need one little th- sort of threshold to to sort of have it enter your conversation. A very higher threshold if you're going to actually start acting on it. And I I would argue actually that there's probably never a time and this doesn't you know for trainees you're obviously going to make a plan with your attending, but you know, for for folks out there who are already in practice, I would argue there's probably never a time where the first time you hear about something by either seeing it on on some random website or hearing it on a podcast should be what changes your practice. It might make you curious. And as you said, might make you go delve into the sources that were included on that podcast or that make you look up articles on your own to see what's being done and then talk to colleagues about if they've heard of this and what they're being done. But, you know, what I love about what's out there in terms of open access medical education is it can be a conversation starter, right? It can make you think that's interesting. I wonder if it's being done and then make you look into it more. It shouldn't necessarily make you start doing it the next day.
2: And, and if you look at things like doxivity, which are, you know, I wouldn't necessarily call it social media, but it almost is, is you have these giant forums, you know, for critical care. And they're like, what do you think of, you know, this ventilation mode and, and, you know, this, you know, paper that came out. Um, but, but I wholeheartedly agree. And even when you look at um, what changes and adjusts people's practice. Uh, you know, I've been to conferences and I said, you know, oh, uh, I think there was one, they were talking about uh, reperfusion injury in dogs after cardiac arrest. That was what they, they were looking at in the paper. And like, and it showed that when you put them on 100% oxygen, I know they've looked at this a number of times that you actually have worse outcomes, be it from free oxygen radicals or whatever it was. It's like, how many things have to come out or have to happen before you're willing to change your practice to not do that to a person? Whereas now it's like, oh, I watch this on YouTube, you know, let's let's try doing the central line this way, or, or what if we try this vent mode, APRB, because I read that, you know, somebody did a podcast on it one day, and it's, it's um, it, I think it has just as much helpful benefits as it does potential harm, um, especially when you have somebody who's doing something, and they've been doing it for many years, or they have experience with it, for somebody to just hear it and be like oh that sounds interesting i'm going to try it it's like
1: you know right so can you share an example or two of things that you know you felt like you were able to get a grasp on or understand through the use of social media that you just hadn't really been able to grasp through traditional methods of education
2: um definitely interesting question i would say that you know it kind of started um have you heard of um Uh, sketchy micro and sketchy farm. I have heard
1: of
0: -hmm.
2: flashcard sets that use pictures and images. And and I think there's a good amount of data that says that images and pictures and things help you remember things sometimes better because you can associate them. um, You know, uh, we we remember things that we see sometimes a little bit better than things that we hear. It's um, you know, why you can tell me what happened during a movie during the entire time. You can't necessarily recite all of the, of the lines. And so I think there have been a lot of things, especially looking at, pressures in the heart. That's, that's been a big one. I can't tell you how many times I've memorized the pressures of the heart until I watched a YouTube video. And they're like, uh, explain to me in a very succinct manner, you know, pressure is force over area. Anytime a valve is open, the pressure has to equalize. And all of a sudden I'm like, so a CVP is the same thing as the right atrial pressure is the same thing as the right ventricular diastolic pressure because it's all one big open chamber. I'm like, nobody has said that to me ever i am sure I've read it in some various forms in textbooks, um, but it hasn't gotten there. Um, even most recently, again, PTE Masters, which is you know done by Tommy Burchett, the Tufts, which is basically the, the Bible for what everyone uses for studying their echo boards. The ASE, the American Society of Echocardiography guidelines for doing echo, is very dense. And to sit there and try to read to evaluate like a, a stenotic lesion of the aortic valve, I'm like, oh my God. I don't know what half of these things are. I don't understand what they're saying. This is way too much physics for me. But I go and I watch this video from Tommy, and I'm like, "Oh, that makes a lot of sense." You know, as things get towards a smaller hole, they're going to start driving. You know, going to move faster to keep it. and it it clicks. And so um, beyond that uh, is the implementation of videos and pictures that are not necessarily available when you're reading a book or or looking at something. Not to say they don't have pictures, but it's very different to watch. Uh, a procedure online or watch how you cannulate ECMO or watch how you do something as opposed to reading in a book, the steps or a cartoon because cartoons are very different than real life pictures. A real life echo image and learning how to do measurements is very different than a diagram. And and so that, at least in my experience most recently um, you know, in the cardiac world has been being able to watch videos on, how they do valvular surgery, because I'm not in the field, I can't see it. And when I'm trying to understand why they're doing what they're doing, what a ring looks like in the field, why using social media, I've been able to kind of get a better understanding of things that I didn't otherwise um, get from, from looking at a, a, you know, one of the many, many cardiac surgery books.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I I think you, you've hit it really, I think correctly in that, Some things you can read about and just get. Other things, you need a picture, which you can get a picture in a textbook. Other things, a video is going to be way better. And other things, you know, having somebody explain it even better. So it happens to me all the time. I'm attending in the ICU and, you know, I'm not a surgeon. So a lot of times a patient may come out with some very unusual anatomy. They've connected things and, you know, not your typical way. And I'll ask the surgeon or the surgical fellow or resident to draw it out. And having it drawn out is helpful, but even more helpful is that they draw it out, right, and they can do this so well. And then they, they sit there with the pe- pe- with the piece of paper, and they explain to you what they've drawn and why and what's hooked up where and what means what. And that you can't get in a textbook. You really can only get from either someone in person or a, a video where they're walking you through it on the video itself maybe you can approximate it with an audio explanation if if you can somehow picture it in your mind but you know really having the opportunity for all those things is pretty unique
2: you mean when vascular surgery comes out with a Fivar fenestrated Fivar and snorkels to the renals you don't know what's going on you know?
1: exactly exactly
2: same thing. we draw it up on the on the wall so we all know what's going on and it, you know it's like exactly like you said you don't get that from a book. I can read. I know what a fee bar is. I know the fenestration they put in various places, but it means it doesn't mean anything to me because that's not my clinical field. And I don't know why they're doing it. I don't know how they're doing it. Even something as simple as a purse string suture in the aorta, when I was learning about going on to bypass, was like, what, like, do you just cut the aorta and plug and pray? And like, how do you, how do you do this? And it wasn't until somebody, like you said, sat down and said, put a needle in here, 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 here. We put a tourniquet over it, we make a cut, put our, our cannula in and pull it and cinch it tight. I'm like, I would not it does I could have read textbooks for days and I would not have understood that. Um, and I think social media is what allows people to make that jump, that 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 surgeon coming out of the LR and explaining that um kind of connection, which I think is yeah. a great, a great way to, you know, compare it.
1: I, absolutely. Do you have examples you'd recommend to folks of things that you really think are um, great resources within the the just universe of of options out there? Uh, and uh, let's speak within our field. So, uh, you know, an- education and anesthesia, things you'd recommend people check out?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, and like you said, it's very meta, but, you know, watch ACRAC. Uh, anybody who's listening to this, you know, you know, like I said, Lorenzo, who was on, you know, two weeks ago, is, is a world expert in, in you know, ARDS and and COVID and and, uh, nitric oxide. And so listen to, you know, the things that are out there um, from, from, you know, yourself, from Dr. Wolpa and things like that. Um, I think people out there, um, Rishi, many of you may know him, especially if you have Instagram, uh, Kumar, uh, you know, has been doing this since he was a resident, basically, I think, and and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think kind of as he was learning about stuff, he would take pictures of, you know, drugs and be like, this is how I'm learning about it. I'm, I'm, you know, um, um, and sharing kind of what I'm learning, kind of the same thing I'm doing. So Rishi is is absolutely phenomenal for many things, anesthesia, critical care, cardiac related. Um, There's a gentleman named Eddie Joe, who's actually a friend of mine and and, um, very talented on Instagram. And basically what he does is, you know, like I mentioned, I don't have time necessarily to read all the critical care journals that come out, but he does and he, or not that he has time, but he does it and he reads them and he says, Here's the, the high points and low points. Here's how they did the study. Here's why they did the study. Here's what they found. Here's the flaws. Here's what they could have done better. Um, and he tells you, you know, kind of the important things. So that's Eddie Joe. Uh, he has a website, and he, I think, is starting a podcast as well um, uh, for uh, critical care topics. So I think Rishi, Eddie Joe are, are great. Um, I'm obviously shamelessly pitching myself, but count backwards from 10 from uh, anybody listening. Um, sure. And, I, and I'm hoping that as these things continue to grow, um, you know, anesthesia, which is a field that's been, you know, I don't want to say in the back, but it's something where, you know, people who go to med school tend to be type A personalities. They're like, I'm going to study. I'm going to be, you know, I'm, I'm the person. It's it's no longer your show. And, uh, you know, you're a guardian angel. And so that that appeal of getting out there and talking about, like, you know, when people, all they think is we just push we put somebody to sleep, you are like, all right, see you later. You know, we'll wake you up at the end. But when you think about it, what's the one thing every patient asks? It's always, am I going to wake up at the end? It's the most thing that they're concerned about. And so I think that there's, I'm hoping that as the field, uh, as things become more percutaneous, as there's less open, as anesthesia has the opportunity to do things like cannulate ecmo or put in balloon pumps and do devices and things like that like you see in europe places in the south i think Emory, all of the ecmo services from bb ecmo i think at penn are all um, uh, all intensivists and, and anesthesiologists is as we kind of do more and more it becomes a more mainstream kind of thing that people are excited to get into resources will continue to pop up because people are going to be like this is really cool i i, I want to know what I can do and how to to get involved. So I think
1: those are the big ones. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks for sharing those. Um, And there's, you know, I I would encourage people to take a look. There's great, you know, the depth of anesthesia podcast um, out of MGH is a great one that I think they do a really nice job. We, we hosted one of their first episodes on our feed and, you know, they do a really nice job of looking at the evidence behind a lot of common practices and whether or not there is any evidence. So um i think that's fantastic and there's many many more so um people will will hopefully go and leave in the comments their own thoughts and recommendations um all right so we've talked a little about a lot of pros and and certainly i'm, I'm biased and think there's a ton of pros <laughs> to this we've also talked about some cons we kind of highlighted the fact that you have to be careful of knowing what you're getting and that if there's you know you shouldn't just take it for granted that what someone says on a podcast or writes on a blog is accurate um are there other cons you think it's important to point out to people when they're thinking about uh, getting medical education through this kind of format?
2: You know, I, I think I've, I'll be honest. I've been pretty, um, you know, focused on just the idea of is, is what I'm hearing correct or incorrect? And and maybe it's been hard as a, a biased individual to be like, why wouldn't somebody want to come and look at my content and, and do that? Um, I, I, I would think that one thing now that I'm thinking about it is lack of structure or consistency is if you want to learn more about something, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm absolutely guilty of this is, you know, I took a week and spoke about, you know, um, evaluation of the mitral valve or, or mitral irritation, mitral stenosis. But this week I'm talking about perfusion and where, what, what happens to the mitral valve? Like there's so much more about it. And it, it might be that, you're going to find these like blips on somebody's page where they talk about this drug one day that you think is really cool. And you're using cyanocobalamin for, for severe hypotension one day. And you're like, I was just learning about pressers. Like where's the rest of it? Um, So maybe I, I think kind of in speaking and thinking about it, a con is that, you know, maybe you want more of whatever it is. And it simply isn't there because it's not a textbook. There's not a table of contents to my webpage. There's just, random videos I put up because they were topics that I wish I had been taught one way, or maybe it's just, Hey, someone saw this machine. You know, I watched the machine the other day for a transplant where they put the heart on basically on ECMO or on, on bypass and they wheeled it in. And I was like, it looked like they sous vide the heart. I'm like, I could read about that one. I want to learn more about this. And you know, that's all you get, you know, you get a kind of a snapshot on social media. It's not, it's not uh, kind of more than that. Um, so I think that's probably the other one of the other big things. But m- maybe you have some thoughts that, you know, maybe make me think a little bit more.
1: No, you know, I think that um, there are a few. Right. So the main one, I think, is exactly what we've talked a lot about, which is that you can't unlike. A, well, I wish you should never take anything for granted, even if it's published in the New England Journal. But at least if it's in a major journal, you can. Trust that It's been through peer review. People have looked at it. People who are very smart who have thought about this. So, you know, that doesn't mean every paper and obviously major journals were track paper. So it doesn't mean every paper is right. And you should make sure you think hard about everything and read them carefully. But, you know, there's a different level of something that's just stuck on a random blog versus something published in a major journal. So, you know, if it's on a blog, if it's in a podcast, I think you have to ask yourself, as we've talked about, you know, how do I know this is right? And the only way to really know is to double check it, right? With people, with sources, et cetera. Um, So that's a big one. I think also, you know, there is the idea that you might read something or listen to something that is right, but you don't yet have the knowledge to put it in context. And so you might not use it well. So, you know, for example, and this might not make a ton of sense because I'm making it up off the top of my head, but let's say that you, wa- you lo- watched a podcast and you figured out, or you watched a video and you figured out how to do a certain block. But maybe in that video, even though they correctly explained how to do it, they didn't talk about contraindications or certain patient populations where that might not be a good block to use. You decide to go do it, but you do it in a patient that shouldn't have gotten that block, even though you do the block correctly, right? So you can, it's not enough that, the information is right. You want to make sure you put it in context. Now, someone who's been in practice for 20 years can probably listen to a podcast or watch a video and, and put that in the context of their 20 years of, of practice and learning. Whereas a brand new CA1 might not yet have the context within anesthesiology to, to fit that. So you want to just take that into account and be careful. And again, when you learn something new or interesting, look into it, learn more about it, don't act on it right away. I think that's really the key. And then I think the, other, the last thing that people would say is, you know, With things, as things change, what happens to things that are already out there? Now, I think there are pros and cons. A blog, you of course, unlike a a published article, which once it's published is done, right? It's, you can't go back and unpublish it and then republish it in a different format. You can publish a new one. A blog, you can change, but you don't know if people are changing it. So you might have something, and you, you actually mentioned this before, that might have been right at some time, which there's new evidence that hasn't actually been updated in there. So you just have to put that into context. Think about when it was published. And it always drives me crazy, by the way, when you know a blog or a website of any kind doesn't have a date on a given entry. right? No. I mean, it, how do I know when you put that in there? Was it 10 years ago or was it 10 days ago. So I think knowing when it was published and trying to take that into account as well. I'm sure there are other cons to this stuff that people are going to bring up. I have have one of my APDs will tell you that the fact that people think they no longer need textbooks because of all this stuff that's out there, she thinks is a big loss. I'm not convinced that you have to read a textbook to learn and do well in, in learning and becoming an anesthesiologist or any other kind of physician. I think that you can't just do question bank questions. But I think if you really delve into what's out there and, and, you know, use a lot of different resources and when you find something you're not sure about, or you get a question wrong, you read carefully the explanations and look at the sources. And, you know, I think you can cover the same stuff that you would get in a textbook that way. But some people might say that the ubiquity of all this other stuff, pulling people away from textbooks is, uh, is a con. I'm not sure I agree with that.
2: Well, it's, it's, and as a last thing, I don't want to take too much of your time is one of the most interesting things about, you know, being a content creator People who will call me out on something or say, I've never heard this before. I saw this somewhere. And like, I have to go back. Like, I know I read about this in, you know, the Kaplan cardiac book, like, or they'll send me a paper. Like, I did not know about this paper that came out six months ago that, you know, changed everything. You know, but how many people still say, don't use any pressers and flaps? It's like the the meta-analyses for the last two decades, all say it doesn't matter.
1: Yep, Absolutely. Um, well, David, let's turn to the portion of our show where we make random recommendations. Anything you have that you'd like to recommend that people check out?
2: Uh, I think uh, I, saw, I saw Dr. Perra mention Ted Lasso, which was you know a thought of mine, which is fantastic. Um, recently, uh, I've watched uh, The Witcher. Uh, if anybody hasn't seen it, it was based off of a uh, book and then a subsequent video game about uh, a guy that hunts monsters. And it's uh, Henry Cavill, who... Uh, uh, plays Superman. I don't know. I like fantasy and sci-fi, and it's uh, you know, something that I watched with the new season coming out. I'm
1: very excited for. Nice, The Witcher, as in W-I-T-C-H-E-R. Yes, sir. And what? What? Uh, where can people find that? What network or sh- or Netflix. channel? Netflix. All right, great. Um, well, that's awesome. Uh, I I'm always interested in having new shows to check out. So thanks for that recommendation. I want to, you know, I know I said this up front, but I just want to reemphasize again um, that my recommendation is going to be to check out the SNAC uh, website, Snack.org. their podcast, the new Snack podcast. You know, it's, it's well done. There's a lot of great resources. I think neuroanesthesia is something that people are going to see in any anesthesiology residency, and many people are going to do a lot in practice. So this is, a, again, a free, really nice resource for people to check out. Um, all right. Well, David, this has been great. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
2: Dr. Walpole, it's my pleasure. I hope we keep in touch maybe at the next uh, big conference. I finally get to you know meet you after years of speaking intermittently.
1: I look forward to it. Thanks. Uh,
2: thanks so much, Zach.
1: All right. That was great. I hope you enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Let us know what you thought. Go to the website, ACRAC.com. Let us know what you thought of the show and what we've missed. What are you doing? What are you thinking about? What's out there that you really enjoy from a social media standpoint? You can leave a comment so everyone can learn from what you have to say. You can also follow us on Instagram, on Facebook, and on Twitter. We're at ACRAG Podcast, and I'm at Jay Woolpaw. If you're a fan of the show, please consider going to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and leaving a comment and a rating. It really helps others find the show. Also, if you'd like to support the making of the show, please consider going to patreon.com slash ACRAC. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash A-C-C-R-A-C where you can become a patron of the show and pledge whatever you want per episode. And we really appreciate that. Of course, you can also make donations anytime by going to paypal.me slash ACRAC or looking up Jay Walpaw on Venmo. Thank you so much to those who've already made donations and become patrons. We really appreciate it. It makes a huge difference. Huge thanks, as always, to our amazing ACRAC team. Dr. Brian Park is our tech lead. Brian Okonski is our social media manager. And Drs. Kimia Kashkuli and April Liu are our production assistants. Thanks, as always, to Dr. Dennis Quo, who composed our original ACRAC music. And you can check out his website at studymusicproject.com. All right. That is it for today. For the ACRAC podcast and Dr. David Convasar. I'm Jed Wolpaw. Thanks for listening. Remember, what you're doing out there every day is really important and valued.
0: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation,